0: everyone welcome back to because I'm the teacher my name is Jill Krug and I'm here with Patrick uh, my background is in education and I have a master's in business administration and I've been working in education for about seven years now
1: and I'm Patrick Cruz my background is also in, ed- in uh, education my bachelor's is in math education and my master's is in cultural studies and education and this is my fourth year in public schools
0: And we have a couple things that we want to talk about today. The first thing that we want to talk about is H.R. 610, which is the legislation that is currently at the House. It has not been voted on yet, but it is at the House, and it is going to address advancing the school voucher program and a couple other things. It is being sponsored by Stephen King from Iowa. And if you are from one of these four states, I would encourage you to get in touch with your representatives and let them know how you feel about it, especially before the vote. And I will post uh, contact information for senators and representatives in the show notes. So we have our sponsor, Stephen King from Iowa, Andy Harris from Maryland, Trent Franks from Arizona, and Pete Olson from Texas. So thank you to that lovely group of gentlemen who is advancing our educational Standards? I don't know if we can even call them standards at this point, but we're doing something. So, um, I'm just going to read you the read-in to this, this legislation because I thought it was vague and poorly written, which is how I like to start a professional proposal. So, it says, To distribute federal funds for elementary and secondary education in the form of vouchers for eligible students and repeal a certain rule, Relating to the nutrition standards in schools. So that's a mouthful and also pretty vague, which I thought was a poor choice. Um, but that it's also being called the School Choice Act of two seven, 2017. So. Well,
1: you know, it may be, they may have written it vaguely to give more interpretation powers and enforcement power to. Uh, the Secretary of Education. That's something that they may it may be purposely vague to give her more power.
0: Well, actually, part of it says so. The second bullet on there that I was reading is it limits the department, the authority of the Department of Education, so that all that the Department of Education is doing is evaluating state applications and making payments to states. So those are would be or those would be the sole responsibilities of an entire department in our U.S. government. Is mm-hmm. to process applications and make payments, so we're going to go ahead and call that the glorified receptionist of education. Yeah. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Well, and I was reading about it, and it, I guess they said that, that you know there was going to be twenty billion dollars was the proposed amount that they want to have. At, you know that's the goal to have available for vouchers from through the federal government Jeez. for this. This
0: program. Yeah. I I just think that it's really poorly thought out and I think that there's not a lot of thought to how it's going to affect different things and if you go in and read some of the specifics on there how they are going to distribute funds and assign different funds and that states have to meet certain standards to receive funds. So I thought that was an interesting choice. I know last week we talked about how there's been kind of this conservative push consistently not just currently to defederalize education and to have everything at the yes. state level but at the same time now they're wanting to mandate that states meet a certain standard to get funding so I don't really understand how those two ideas kind of go together
1: yeah it's kind of a contradiction to on the one hand to have the federal government be responsible for certain things if you don't believe that the federal government should be involved in education and then on the flip side say well we want local control right which is it I guess is my question you know which do you want local schools to be able to do their own thing or do you want a nationalize nationalized system you know what what's the end goal here
0: Right. I just think we have so many people that are wanting to make decisions about something that they have no idea how it works.
1: And I just don't think the the people who benefit from vouchers are not the people that they advertise benefit from vouchers. People who benefit from vouchers are usually upper middle class or... You know, people at the top of the economic ladder, not people at the bottom. Which would make sense. People in Congress, that's really, I think, who they're targeting are those um, those individuals.
0: And um, we talked about that a little bit last week, about how we felt the people that would benefit most from actually having real school choice are not the ones that would have access to school choice based on this system. So if you uh, are interested in that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our, our episode last week. So I thought it was interesting, though. This bill is pretty unpopular from pretty much... I mean, I, I have not come across anyone who's a huge proponent of this bill, but one of the most surprising groups that I saw that was against the bill was the homeschool... Legal Defense Association, so I read a really interesting article that was posted on their website, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, that they were really against it because it was going to federalize homeschool regulations, and they were really against that. And again, as we talk about de-federalizing education, and homeschool is now worried about their regulations being federal regulations, so I find that really ironic. That we want to defederalize public education, but we want to go ahead and put some federal standards in for homeschool processing. Right. But um, it also would require them to be registered with their local school district uh, so that they could be counted for federal funding. And a lot of them don't want to do that because some states don't require families to register their homeschool students with their local school district. So I just thought that was all really interesting, and I don't see this solving any of our problems.
1: No, I don't either. And I know we discussed it before. I don't think the school nutrition aspect of this bill is very good either, in my opinion. I'm I'm thinking about all the bad things about school lunches as it is, and then you're wanting to basically... Take away any guidelines or requirements for the nutritional aspects of a school lunch. I don't know. I just don't know if that's a really good idea or not. Yeah. What do you
0: think? No. The um, part of this bill, the HR six ten, is that it is repealing some of the standards of No Hungry Kids Act. And just like you said, I think that taking away some of the standards for nutrition is going to be detrimental to our kids. Obviously, good nutrition you know, fuels brain power, which is been fuel test scores, which makes us globally competitive. And instead we want to feed our kids crap, and then we want them to perform really well. So that's, you know, counterintuitive right there.
1: Well, and we, we just want to – I feel like we want to cut corners with school lunches. We want them to be on the cheap. And when they're on the cheap, they're not nutritious. Right. And, you know, I was reading – Someone talk about the fact that they thought, well, you know, we don't wanna, we don't wanna cap the caloric content of our school lunches because some kids might only be eating lunch or only having lunch and breakfast. Well, on the flip side of that, no lunch should be fifteen hundred calories. A lunch should be five, six, seven hundred calories.
0: Right, and that's that's what, part of the
1: problem with overeating and you know un, eating unhealthy foods, and we have a problem with a large portion of our population not eating right and having access to quality, nutritious food.
0: Right, and I know that I've talked to some of my colleagues and other people that I know, and they don't see a huge problem with the repealing of the No Hungry Kids Act because they feel like our current standards are questionable we'll say or we're not sure I agree
1: with that to an extent they're not that they're not that stringent now
0: right so it's you know you're still seeing kids with you know nachos and pizza and things for lunch and I don't see how that meets any nutritional standards I mean I love pizza too but if we are gonna have I think if we're gonna have standards we need to- every day yeah if we're going to have standards, we actually need to have real standards. So I understand right. their incredulity about this portion of it since you don't necessarily see it in action, but I think that repealing the standards if they look like this with the standards, what's it going to look like without the standards? And yeah, that's
1: my concern. I know that I've heard teachers complain and they, it's you know half joking they say things like, Oh, you know, thanks thanks Michelle Obama. Now we can't have X, Y, and Z in our cafeterias anymore which I mean I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but I haven't really seen that many tangible changes in our school lunch program since I've been there. So I don't really know
0: I have not been at a school cafeteria during that transitional time, so I can't really speak to that. But from living abroad and from experiencing other schools and the way that they do lunch, and even how our international or our DoDEA schools are doing lunch is interesting to compare it to what we have available for our kids here in the States.
1: Were those lunches better?
0: They did do some... Things better and some it depended on the school as well so for example there was a school in southern italy that contracted their lunch program out to a local italian contractor and so those lunches were really good and they were nutritious and they were made up of locally grown food and and produce and things like that um the school that i worked at we contracted our lunch program out to APs which is the Armed Forces Exchange and so they did all of our school lunches ours were better than other schools and we had like a wrap bar and things like that that was available to our kids but again we were still adhering adhering I'll use that loosely to these standards So our cafeteria manager wanted to mix in the vegetables into like our spaghetti sauces so that the kids would be getting their vegetable serving, you know, in their spaghetti sauce because you wouldn't be able to taste it and then they would eat it. And he got penalized for doing that because it didn't meet like specific criteria and it deviated from the standard recipe that he was mandated to use. So we can't. Help. I, I think that when we do things like that when we do stick too hard to the standards without any flexibility I mean that was a great solution because giving yeah. a kid half a cup of green beans that they're not eating doesn't help them get the nutrition that they need when you could help them get the nutrition by blending it into something else I mean I fool myself into eating healthy things by doing just that so yeah
1: I definitely think there's room for flexibility with it. And I don't... I would really have to see it more in depth and in action to really know whether it would be better or not. I just... There has to be a balance between nutritional standards and not having anything at all. Just basically letting schools do whatever they want because that's not going to be helpful either.
0: Well, I think we're seeing the same issue that we saw with health care is that, and I'm going to throw conservatives under the bus because, because I can, they want to repeal things, but they don't have a replacement. So we wanted to repeal Obamacare, but what was the replacement? Well, now there's a replacement, and they're dealing with that, and we won't get into that because that is outside my area of expertise. But the same thing here, we want to repeal these school lunch standards but what is the replacement for that because allowing schools to have a free reign over the school lunch program especially as we're cutting federal funding for schools i can't imagine that schools are going to be boosting up their health standards and serving more expensive lunches with less money right so well
1: we we have a problem in general in this country about healthy foods in general are so expensive produce is expensive you know milk is expensive things that in other places are much cheaper and more accessible monetarily wise anyway you know that it's cheaper to get we have a real problem here I think partially because geographically we're so large It's just the shipping costs are so much higher, but it's just so much more expensive to buy produce here than a lot of places, for instance, in Europe and and even in South America. It's just crazy to me. And it's like we need more healthy foods. We need more access, not less. And I'm just concerned about, you know, the ability to have access to that because I know... I did an AmeriCorps job over the summer with uh, a summer reading program one time, and we had a little bit of money in our budget, and we decided to use that entire allotment that we got to supplement their breakfast and lunch with fresh fruits and vegetables, because the lunches they were giving us were just pure sugar and carbs. It It was bad and so we supplemented it and we chopped the vegetables and you know served all the fruit and everything ourselves and because that otherwise they wouldn't they wouldn't have had access to it.
0: Right, and I think that that's I mean really sad that schools are having to worry so much about how they're going to budget their money to feed their kids. I was reading an article and I'll post this in the show notes too. Everything will be in the show notes this time. Um about how other countries are feeding their kids because I was interested to see what the difference in lunch programs was because we do struggle with our free and reduced lunch program because there's no such thing as a free lunch. And then we struggle with childhood obesity. I mean, the U.S. is definitely in the top five for childhood obesity. And We don't really seem to be doing anything about it except for cutting funding for food and then cutting programs like gym. So, you know, that seems also counterintuitive, but what do I know? I've only been doing this for, you know, my entire adult life, so. I was interested, countries like Finland and Sweden and India, they are ranking as some of the lowest countries in childhood obesity. I'm pretty sure that India was the lowest. For the statistics that oh, were shown. Of City. Right. And they provide free lunch for all of their students regardless of their economic status. So all students get a free lunch. They do sort of a buffet style. So you come, you choose what you want, you don't eat what you don't want. But they are providing good options for their kids. Right. And then other countries like France and Japan who are also presenting lower in the obesity standards globally are doing things where lunch is part of the curriculum and I've talked a lot about this and I actually wrote a proposal mostly in my head but some of it's on paper for a alternative educational program for students that were going to most likely drop out of high school because We do a really bad job educating our kids for real life situations, I feel like, in the U.S. So one of the things like France and Japan does is their kids are part of their lunch process. So the kids are helping to prepare the food. The kids are eating really good food. The kids are participating in the cleanup. In France, it's like a two-hour, one-to-two-hour ordeal where the kids sit down for a multi-course meal and they... You know, first of all, you're decompressing, you're learning to talk to your peers, you're learning etiquette, you're learning table manners, you're learning all of these different things. And you're learning an appreciation for eating as opposed to, you know, today I sat down for five minutes and shoveled three meatballs in my mouth and called it, you know, lunch. I think that there's something to be said for that, and that was true in Italy as well. When I worked there, the local schools, the kids went and they ate really good, healthy, locally grown food. And they were part of the preparation. And if you think about cooking, cooking is math. It's fractions. It's ratios. It's science. You're learning how different things combine. It's English. You're learning how to read instructions. Or, you know, for some people that are really creative, it's even a little bit of writing because you're putting in your own instructions. And it can become a social studies or a history lesson because recipes are passed down, or you can learn different cultural recipes and things like that. And I think that we really overlook those kind of life skills that could benefit our health and our student achievement outside the classroom.
1: Yeah, well, it's all about standardized curriculums and curricula and standardized tests and We don't have time to do that kind of stuff, supposedly, because we're too busy learning these abstract topics that are going to be tested on that kids don't really need to know. And that actually reminds me of what we had discussed earlier, which was this bill that that was pushed by Ohio's Governor uh, John Kasich. Oh Lord. Well, I've never really been a fan of to begin with. And I know you know, when you put him up next to Donald Trump, he looks like a reasonable man because
0: So do most when he looks people
1: crazy person with semi sane person, you think, Oh, he's a moderate, he's great. You know, but John Kasich has always been very conservative, especially when it comes to education. You know, his own kids don't go to public school. He's been a big fan of expanding charter schools in Ohio, which have been well-documented as some of the worst in the country, Um, but he was proposing that all teachers participate in a job-shadowing experience in order to renew their license. And his rationale was teachers are disconnected from what students really need to know and what should be taught in schools. And they had, a business had a lot of things to teach teachers about what we should be doing in schools. And I just thought that was so ridiculous. I just can't even begin. I mean, it's just one of those things, I was reminded of it because, you know, talking about you know, teachers are mandated to teach certain things. And it's like, we're teaching what you tell us to teach because that's what education has become. You give us a list of things that we have to teach and we teach them because we have to, not because we think it's the best things for our kids to learn. And that's how I feel a lot of times, you know, especially about our own math curriculum. There's things in there that I don't think we necessarily have to teach, but we teach them because they're tested. And we have to cover it, you know?
0: Yeah. So basically these politicians who have never set foot in a classroom, except for, you know, maybe when they were getting their degrees or education. and so, I went
1: to school, so I know about schools.
0: Right. Obviously that's how that works. I can
1: teach because I went to school.
0: You know what? Yeah. I was in a court once because I was paying a speeding ticket. I think I could be a lawyer, like today. Exactly. Actually, you know what? I think I should just revise all laws because I've been to a courthouse, so I think I'm good. You're an expert. Expert, absolutely. But I think it's ridiculous because these politicians are coming down with these standardized testing requirements and all of these standards that we're supposed to be teaching, and they're like, here, this is what's best for kids. Do this. And we're all like, whoa, I don't know about this. Have you, like, talked to a kid or thought about any of these things? and they're like nope here you go figure it out and then they're going to come back and be like you guys are out of touch and you're not doing a good job teaching our kids what they really need to know we're teaching you our kids what you told us the kids needed to know and now you're going to come back and say that we're out of touch we right. told you were out you you were out of touch just a couple years ago when you came and told us to do this insanity and we're doing it because we value education and We're trying to be advocates for our kids, and we are not doing it for the money because, let's be honest, there is no money. And we're not doing it for the summers off because most of us work during the summers to make up for the no money. And I'm not doing it for my cushy 8-to-3 job because... Who works (laughs) 8-to-3? I would love to work 8-to-3. If you can find me a school where I can work 8-to-3, sign me up, baby. Sign me up. Because I work 7 to 4.30 most days. That's a pretty normal day. Very normal. And I get 20 minutes for lunch, which I usually spend with kids.
1: Yep. Sounds about right.
0: But, yeah, I think, that's ins- I think it's insane. I think it is insensitive. I think it's ignorant. I mean, we should mandate that anyone that's writing educational law, like you said, spends time in our classrooms, Yes. Because our schools are not set up for our kids. Our schools are set up for, I'm not really sure what.
1: Just some, something that I would call an assembly line, cheapest possible route you could go. Let's cram as many kids in a room as we can and do whatever we can get away with the the least amount possible. That's what I feel like sometimes. Right. And it's just just frustrating. And I I think it just points out, again, just another example of what a low opinion politicians have of teachers. They have no respect for the profession whatsoever. They don't see it as a profession, they see it as a job.
0: And that's. I mean, otherwise,
1: why would they keep doing things? They obviously don't trust us to, to be the experts.
0: Well, and, you know, people, some of my friends have asked me previously. What would the U.S. have to do to change their education system to be competitive? And most people think that we don't spend enough money on our education system, which obviously there are a lot of schools that are severely lacking. But as a national average, we outspend almost all other countries, which is crazy. And for like elementary education, the U.S. outspends per capita... All countries in the world, so we're spending all of this money, but we're not seeing the results. And so I don't think should do I want to see more money being spent in our schools? Absolutely, because I think our kids deserve access to resources, and our kids deserve access to good food, and our kids deserve access to extracurricular activities and yeah. electives in school. But
1: I, I think it'd be if it was spent better. Well, if it and was I spent on the right things.
0: Right. I think that it's a poor use of funds and I think that it's a poor outlook on education and teachers. I think that until we change our perspective on teachers, you will not see a shift in the education system because countries that are globally competitive are rewarding teachers for their work. They have smaller teacher-student ratios. They have shorter days for teachers in italy every teacher gets a weekday off to complete personal tasks and things like that i guess not every teacher but at some of the local schools where i worked teachers would be off on wednesday or something so that they could go do the things that they need to do instead of peeling out of work at 4 30 to maybe hit the post office before five o'clock
1: well i know in scandinavia that's the way they they have You know, for instance, I right now teach about five hours a day, and the rest of my day is planning and meetings and things like that. They teach three or four hours a day, so there's more time for them to collaborate. There's more time for them to get their work done and plan quality lessons.
0: Yeah, and the work-life balance, I mean, in Scandinavia has, I think, a really good model for how teachers are treated, how they are compensated, and how their time is respected. I know last semester I was bringing things home, so I'd be at work until 5 o'clock. I'd spend one hour at the gym, so I'd be home by about 6, 6.30, and then from about 7 till 8.30 or 9, I'd be grading papers, and then I'd go to bed to get up at 5 to get to work on time to do the next thing. And that means that pretty much my entire personal life, including my weekend time, is just focused around this job and I was so burnt out and so tired by the end of it that I don't think I was as effective as an educator and we're doing that to teachers everywhere and I chose to give up my prep to do that because I wanted to make sure that my students got access to a decent science and math education because we were not we didn't have those positions both filled so I mean it was better than nothing but at mm-hmm. the same time, when we ask teachers to do that, even if they volunteer, I don't think that our kids are benefiting and our teachers are tired and they can't be as effective.
1: Right. So. Well, and it, you know, I think it, it points to a larger issue of, well, why can't you fill that position? Because it's not a h- highly sought-after or well-respected position to be in. And so it's hard to to fill that position with quality candidates sometimes.
0: Absolutely, because you want us to work long hours, not get paid well, work in an environment where you are not treated in a way that you would be treated in other positions. So what I mean by that is, I'm sure you've seen this as well, is I've seen violence towards myself, derogatory language towards myself and other students, violence towards other students, weapons in the classroom, I mean, no, like, guns or anything, but knives and things like that. I've seen drug usage in the schools. I've seen, you know, I mean, you've seen it all, and you're intervening with these things. So you see that kind of workplace environment. If you went down, if I went to work for Microsoft and that was happening in my workplace, like, I would be filing a lawsuit because that's, like, insane. Nowhere else are you going to find somewhere that you go to work and you see those kinds of things and that's not uncommon. And I mean, some schools, a lot of schools, I mean, the school I'm at now, I see a lot less of all of that. But at the same time, you know, we have students that call teachers all sorts of disrespectful and derogatory names that, again, that would be workplace Yeah, it would be workplace harassment. Exactly. And so it's interesting that we put up with all of that. I mean, obviously we all put up with that because we value what we're doing and we value education and we want to make sure that our next generation of kids is prepared. But I think until we see a cultural shift on the way that we view teachers that we won't see a change in education. I think it has to start with the way we view teachers.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I do. Did you want to talk about the day of empathy and all that as
0: well yeah so I think that this kind of ties in for what's important to teach and what's I guess I shouldn't say not important but I think that sometimes we overlook some of the things that are important to our kids well-being because you know we're stressed for time and we want to make sure we get all our standards because we don't want to lose our jobs but my school did something really cool March 1st was the national day of empathy And my school participated, the sophomore class participated in a mock probation event to help bring awareness to what the probation system is like for incarcerated individuals who are being released. It was really, really interesting, and I was really worried about my kids not being interested or checking out or not taking it seriously, but they really stepped up to the plate, and they learned so much and they were talking about it for days after the event which anyone Uh who works with teenagers knows that if you can get them to talk about it for a little bit of time like it obviously had an impact on their life yeah that was really amazing and I know that one of the reasons that I was able to do that is because I work at a charter school and so we don't have to go through an entire chain of command in order to get permission to do programs like that And I really did build empathy, and the kids felt the frustration, and they felt the discomfort, and they felt the anxiety that people leaving prison would feel. And for them to be able to step into that, I thought was really beneficial, and I think it makes them better human beings and better citizens.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Well, and I know that we had talked about what had been going on at my school recently, or in my school district here in Charlotte, and how, you know, especially with surrounding current events with immigration law and with a with a fairly sizable Hispanic population, we have had to address and have these teachable moments with our kids with regards to how to respond to these things. Um, specifically, you know, immigration raids and the wall that we're going to build and supposedly make Mexico pay for. That's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, I had been telling you that we had that day without an immigrant now a few weeks ago, and, you know, some schools had protests. Our school had what I thought went really well, where the principal actually worked with the kids, and, and they... <clears throat> Did a, a a march during lunch in the cafeteria, and they went outside, and I just thought it was handled really well, and I thought the principal did a good job of really channeling that energy in a positive way. And then we had we actually had students walk out the next week from one of our high schools and march eight miles down the road to show their dissatisfaction and their frustration with what's been going on with um, immigration and, and these ice raids and things and then we had another round this past week at a different high school and again the principal took advantage of having a good relationship with her kids and really empathizing with them and and saying hey you know what can we do to make this a really positive experience for our school and they had a they had a March with several hundred kids in the morning, and it went really well. And I thought disagreeing and being frustrated and being angry about things doesn't always mean that you have to react violently. And I thought, you know, it was a good teachable moment for our kids to, to see how they can channel their energy in a positive way. I thought, it, I thought it had a positive impact on a lot of our kids. And it was nice to see that they cared enough about something to take action.
0: Yeah, I think that's really great. I think that the fact that it was nonviolent, that it was an appropriate response, that they sort of self organized. And I commend the administrators who support those kind of student actions because, again, we're seeing those kind of actions across our country right now with the Women's March and the airport protests, all of these nonviolent, peaceful protests where we, as a community are voicing our opinions about things and for us to tell our kids that that's not acceptable while we are doing that I think is hypocritical and and I mean I think we do lose out on teachable moments because our kids we should take advantage of what our kids interests and what our kids passions are and we should use those to teach and I think that your principal and the principals and surrounding schools did just that.
1: And I'm curious to see, you know, in the coming weeks, especially with the Muslim Ban 2.0, I'll be curious to see, you know, what transpires in the coming weeks. Um, you know, because we we had teachable moments come up when we had the the police shooting several months ago, and I know that was hard for for our schools and our community to deal with, so it will be interesting to see in these troubled times what you know what's going to happen next
0: so we just want to thank you so much for listening today and we hope you enjoyed it and please see the show notes for all the links to anything that we talked about today that's our lesson thanks for joining us